Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. After a heart attack ended his time in the band The Equals, Eddie Grant kicked off his solo career in 1975. After seven years of minor hits in the UK, he exploded in America thanks to the undeniably catchy track Electric Avenue. This week, we're joined by Five Iron Frenzy saxophone player Jeff the Girl to discuss Eddie Grant's massive hit single. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder So, Leonor, you picked Eddie Grant, Electric Avenue, and it's really cool, like, as I did the research on this, this is a pretty uh, fitting song for the world right now in a strange way. You know, I think as I started remembering this song, I think it had a lot to do with the kind of music that I like in general. It's poppy, it's catchy, it it's danceable, but then there's a very deep underlying social justice and almost depressing message. Yeah, it's crazy. You would never think that <laughs> from listening to this song, which just sounds like another... It's just one of those 80s songs that seems like it always existed thing. Like it's just such a such a staple for, of the 80s. But then you dig in a little deeper on Eddie Grant and the meaning of this song. And that's that's a really cool thing about like those uplifting, poppy, catchy songs that when you look a little deeper into it, you're like, oh, this has some serious meaning behind it. And uh, it's cool mm-hmm. when you have that sort of dichotomy in songs. And this is no exception. And I'll say right off the bat, when I was looking into Eddie Grant, it's this week, <laughs> as we're we're talking in September of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Grant is actually suing the Trump campaign for using this song. <laughs> I have to repeat that. He is suing the Trump campaign for using Electric Avenue? Yes. Yes. This week. And, and wow. <laughs> yeah, this week. This week, he is actually suing them for using this song. Good for uh, him. Not, not only at his, like, campaign events, but also on a video that Twitter then removed. Right. Why would they want to use it? It doesn't fit the theme. <laughs> Why does this dude keep people using people's music? Doesn't he know that anybody, <laughs> everybody except Lee Greenwood doesn't like him? <laughs> so Yet bizarre. It, 
It's just band after band, artist after artist sue him. And I never, you know, I always hear like uh, Neil Young sued him recently, all these people, but I never hear the result of what ends up happening. It's it's probably more of like a cease and desist, like anybody like Five Iron. We used to put a smurf on our t-shirts and we got very familiar with the terminology cease and desist. And you would say, oh "Oh, no, we'll get a letter. (laughs) We'll get an official letter in the mail to our band P.O. Box that all the fans are using, right? And it'll say, Dear Five Iron Frenzy, please stop using our artwork and we won't make it anymore. So, yeah, so that's probably what everybody does, but it's probably more of a legal, it's got to be like a really big legal stop it, right? Right, right. Absolutely. I've gotten a few of those in my day too. I have an Etsy shop, so I know all about it. See? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that being said, it's also so ironic that with everything that's going on in the world that Trump would use this song if he even took five seconds to read into what this song is about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very inappropriate. Mm -hmm. It's that he would be using this song because we will get into that. What I thought was interesting. Well, first of all, my geography is pretty bad. You know, Eddie Grant is originally from Guyana and I Mm -hmm. didn't know where Guyana was. Do you know where it is? It's in Africa, right? No, (laughs) I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Okay. Is it an island? I would have guessed that too. Yes. yes. That's that's correct. It's like the Northeastern corner of South America, actually. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Okay. I watched this Indian matchmaker show and there's a lot of people. That's where I learned it from because the Guyanese, they have a big Indian population and this girl wanted to get matchmaked with an Indian guy, but they had, she had to say, I'm Guyanese Indian, not from India. And that's, right. yeah, now I remember it. Yeah, I, and I, I would have had no idea had I not just looked this up. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, it's, but it's good to learn. I want people to, to learn. We, we're, we're learning now. I, I learned some things about Guyana. Well, their main economic things <laughs> mm-hmm. are uh, agriculture, which they, the, they produce rice and demerara sugar, gold mining, timber, shrimp, fishing, and minerals. Indigenous people inhabited it before European settlement. Mm-hmm. And then and their name came from, the Guyana comes from land of water. And mm-hmm. that's where Eddie Grant was born. And he lived there until, so he was born in 1948 there. And then he, his parents emigrated to London in 1960, where he learned to read and write music in school became a big fan of Chuck Berry. And then after he went and saw a Chuck Berry concert, he decided music is going to be my career. And he I did find it. that fascinating <laughs> because I, I was doing some research on him too. And I didn't realize he played so many instruments. Oh yeah. I didn't see that. Why? Why? What did you see all that he played? I didn't. Well, I didn't when you listen up. to his songs, this is not to sound rude, but you sent me a whole link of his songs and, and other songs. Cause I didn't know a lot of his songs. I just know that I like that one. Yeah. And when you listen to his music, it sounds like a hundred percent synthesizer. Right. <laughs> I'm not trying to sound mean. Some of the songs I can't even tell if the guitar solos are synthesizers. And right. some of the horns definitely sound like synthesizers. Maybe not. But when you look at the list of instruments he's able to play, you just wouldn't know that from the songs that got him big. Yeah. And I might just be a product of what was going on at the time. Yeah, that the was 80s. the style. It was kind of like, well, we can make it sound like synthesizer, like with The Cure. Like, obviously, they can hire. We've heard in certain songs they can hire horn players. But a lot of people like that synthesizer sound back then. They probably had the best horn players in the world around and stuff. And they're probably right. like... <laughs> No, just run that through a synth. Can you make that sound? Uh, We're kind of, yeah, we, I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this dude decided he wanted to have a career in music. And it wasn't long after that he did because he was one of the founding members of the Equals, 
who were one of the United Kingdom's first racially integrated pop groups. Awesome. They had that song, Baby Come Back, which at first when I heard Baby Come Back, I thought of like that 70s Baby yacht come rock. Back. Baby Come Back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not that one. <laughs> right. But then I listened to it. I'm like, oh yeah, I know this Baby Come Back too. Great song, upbeat, feel good song. Almost in the vein of like Motown. Mm-hmm. It's great. But what's crazy is that in 1971, Eddie had a heart attack and collapsed lung, which made him have to lead the ba- leave the band. The dude was 23 years old. Really? And had a heart wow. attack. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty scary. And he retired from performing. So he after. had a heart attack before he wrote Electric Avenue? Yeah. Way wow. before. Wow. Like more than a decade before. I mean, he's still alive today. So I find it interesting that he decided to do a life of music. He did. You have to wonder, listening to these deep songs, these deep dive of him, right? Is a, is a lot of his money coming from royalties then? Because other bands covered some of those other songs and Electric Avenue did so well. Because I'm not seeing a ton of hits. I would find it hard to believe that anyone wouldn't know that song. Uh, maybe younger right. kids might not, but like it's such a big thing. Yeah. Like, presidential campaigns are mm-hmm. or, or whatever you want to call that is using it you know it's it's everywhere at the grocery store on tv shows and everything so, yeah i mean if you have a song that big maybe you can live maybe. and he's and he's a solo artist he's probably not dividing mm-hmm. it among well not only that he's the he's a producer of the song and the songwriter so that's double right. whammy i guess financially right Right. And who knows what other, you know, those other songs weren't as big a hits, but he is well known. I think he's among, you know, Guyanese. He's I I did see that he won like the Lifetime Achievement Award from their government uh, in Guyana. So he is regardless of how big or small of a celebrity he is everywhere else. Definitely in Guyana, the dude is like royalty. So, <laughs> you know, one way or another, I'm sure that he's been able to keep producing and and make a living at music and having that uh, hit to fall back on. It definitely doesn't hurt. I'm sure. Right. I'm, right, I'm sure right. he's not. I'm sure he's not hurting too bad. It's interesting to uh, look into this song because, like you, we said earlier, it just seems like a fun song. Mm-hmm. And the, the Electric Avenue would make me think like. Oh, this synth song. <laughs> it's very electric yeah. sounding. That's all I would have taken. Would you have taken anything different away from this song than that? I was a little kid when this came out. Um, I was, you know, elementary age and I remember hearing it. And I remember the line specifically about um, a couple different lines. One is the one where he talks about how we can't afford to feed everyone, dealing in multiplication right. and we can't afford to feed everyone. Yeah. And I remember that as like a, elementary school kid and because that was all the rage back then you know the um looking into how in the united states how much we have and how much we need to share and donate you know money and help people in these starving countries and all those brutal images as a child on tv of starving people right and that line stood out and then the other line that stood out was uh he talks about the playground in the dark side of town Uh and i know this isn't a complete parallel but um i grew up in a uh, tiny little town called Pierce, but Fort Collins, Colorado was a little area where my grandma lived and I would spend summers there. And they did, they had a playground and you knew as kids don't hang out there because the drunks and drug addicts hang out in the playground and there's right. glass and there's needles and it's rough. So this playground in the Colonia, you know, in this side of the tracks or whatever, that playground's not safe at all. So it, it's an interesting stark realization that there are neighborhoods that culturally have a whole history to them. And it does tend to be maybe different immigration people or people of different cultures. And it's something to look at why that poverty happens, why poverty happens in 
cultures that are immigrating and why there's a blind eye to the needs of different cultures. I mean, it's cool that you picked up on those lines as a kid, because I don't think I would have picked <laughs> up on anything yeah. beyond just the chorus and, right. and the sound of the synth. But that's very uh, important to the song, because when you look into what it's about, uh, you'll mm-hmm. see that Electric Avenue, it isn't called that because it sounds like electric synthesizers. It's called that because that is a place in London known for its high population of Caribbean immigrants, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> little side note, just had a friend, my friend was tweeting about this the other day. How do you say it? I say Caribbean. I do too. You could also say Caribbean. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> or as Billy Ocean said in his song, Caribbean. Caribbean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, 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 is that how he's doing it? Okay, yeah, maybe he, he does. Caribbean have queen. queen. Like that. <laughs> yeah, right. So there's there's multiple. I, I'm going right. to do Caribbean. I think Caribbean. No, nice. you're not. Uh, you said, yeah, I get, oh, now I'm all screwed up. I don't know. Say what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say Electric Avenue is known for its high population of Caribbean immigrants. Mm-hmm. And that is around the area that Eddie Grant was from. Well, also, real quick side note. Electric Avenue was called that because it was the first market street in London to be lit by electricity. So mm, uh, a okay. little, little side note. Uh, Fancy. But part of what this, this song is about and those lyrics you're picking up on was the 1981 Brixton riot, mm-hmm. which was a confrontation between police and protesters in Brixton. It's in South London. Uh, mm-hmm. It was between April 10th and 12th of 1981, which once again goes back to the irony of Trump using this song. But that's a whole other thing. The main riot of it was on April 11th, and Time Magazine dubbed that Bloody Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it resulted in 279 injuries to police and 45 to members of the public. Over 100 vehicles were burned, including 56 police vehicles. And up to 5,000 people were involved. But it stemmed... Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's basically it was a fire and a bunch of uh, young black people died in that fire at this house party near mm-hmm. there. And um, authorities claimed that it was accidental, but then it was widely suspected that it was a racially motivated arson attack. Mm-hmm. And so it was just people were protesting. There were there were activists everywhere. And it was just just like we're seeing now It was clashes right. between police and protesters. A lot of people tried to blame protesters. There were actually some people that were organizers of the march that were arrested, but they were later acquitted and everything. But it's just all a cycle. You know, it all comes back around. That's, you know, we see the same thing over and over and over again. And, you know, when you look deeper into songs, it's so it's it's so interesting how, you know, a song like this just sounds so happy. It sounds so makes you want to dance but then it has this this deep meaning. I, I produce another podcast, and I uh, had um, Angelo Moore from Fishbone was on, and yeah. there's not a better guy to talk to about that concept mm-hmm. <laughs> of these upbeat, joyful songs with these meanings that when you look into them, you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think that's that's a very common thing, and I think that makes for a really awesome song, you know. Yeah, kind of like a ska song that talks about raping and killing and stealing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. This song blew up. The, the music video was filmed in Barbados. And a lot of people think that that helped blow the song up, like the, the way the music video looked. It was in the early days of MTV. Mm-hmm. And also at that time, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of black artists on MTV. People were speaking out against that, including David Bowie. I've seen, have you ever seen that interview of David yeah, Bowie calling out? Yeah, he does. Yeah, you know, it was Michael Jackson, obviously, was kind of the first the first person that the network got behind, but 
but it kind of looks like from what I've read that Eddie Grant was kind of the second. <laughs> this mm. song was right there on the on the heels of that. You know, it's surprising to me that this was his only hit. You know, especially. Well, I to... I get it now after you sent me these other songs. They're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah that that is a lot of times the problem is if if the songs aren't so good, it doesn't matter. But this one, this one is good. This one is very good. This one is good. Uh, and the video is interesting. It's interesting to me that it's such a dance song. I imagine in the 80s, people were dancing to it and the video doesn't have any dancing. It's kind right. of serious. <laughs> it's kind of like he's sitting on a couch and then riding on a motorcycle and then laying down in the water and maybe, maybe dead. I don't know in the water, but it's interesting how there, it's not a dance music video and nowadays you just wouldn't see that they'd have like a dance club scene or something so watching the video was like wow they didn't really pick up on the energy of the song but you don't really need to absolutely it reminds me so much of like my mom has six sisters so when i was you know when I was a kid, it was like every one of them was, it was every year one of them was getting married. What it reminds me of is being at like a wedding reception and yeah. <laughs> dan- dancing with my drunk aunts and uncles to the, right, you know, right, songs right. like this. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. So mm-hmm. for me, it's just dancing is so wrapped up in this song and, and whatever whatever other songs from the 80s, Word Up from Cameo mm-hmm. and stuff like yeah. that. So, uh, you know, but I don't even remember seeing the video uh, back then, oh, I but, do. It uh, always cracked me up because he's just sitting on the couch being like, you know, and he's almost, that's another interesting thing is the way he sings. And as I listen to more of his songs, he's kind of like talking, singing. Right. And he has his, his own, his own style. Did you read about what his style was? His genre? Ringback? Is it called Ringback? Ringbang. 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 I yeah. never heard of that. And I, I looked it up and then I didn't feel too bad because I guess he kind of coined that himself. So I thought, Oh, this is a whole style I'd never heard of, but why not, right? Why not make your own name right. for your own style? Yeah, I mean, he pioneered a genre called ring bang. It's a Caribbean fusion of music genres, philosophy, mm-hmm. and aesthetic. But I also kind of think that it was just 
a way to describe his own music. So the fact that we don't know what the fact that <laughs> right, we don't know what right. what ring bang music is, I don't I don't feel so bad about that necessarily. In some ways, that's kind of smart as a musician because like a lot of bands are like, are you two tone? Are you ska core? Are you punk? And it's like if you can come up with your own name, you don't have to keep giving them a whole story. We're like that's Chicago right. with horns, right? Chicago with Chicago with horns and punk rock added in. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, you just need your own word. And ring bang, like if somebody said ring bang to me, maybe I would kind of assume that it sounded like Eddie Grant. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I don't I, know. I, I don't, oh man, that's interesting. I wish I didn't know ahead of time. And someone said, Hey, have you heard, you know what ring bang music is? And I could try to figure out what that meant that, that, you know, because like, yeah. think about this. If someone said to you, uh, if you didn't know what it was and someone said right. to you, uh, shoegaze music, would Yuck. you know what that is? I feel like I would know what that is. Yeah, I think I would. I, I mean, I do, yeah. but I think that when you say it, the only thing is if you said you're going to a shoegaze show, I'd be like, well, what do I wear? A backpack? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, what, but, what about, yeah, but, so when we looked at Betty Grant, I also saw the word soca, S-O-C-A, and it said soca music. And that's another one. I had uh, no idea. I had to Google it. Did you, I don't did know you what that is. see that? It's the soul of Calypso. Oh, okay. Did you even nice. know that? I didn't know that. No. Soka. <laughs> hey, that's that's why this podcast is good. We're learning all these things that we're now going to incorporate into our own music. We get a little, little ring bang on that new Five Iron Frenzy album. Maybe a little <laughs> Soka on that new punchline. <laughs> we tried that already. Uh, what was that song? It was, yeah, I can't even remember. You already tried it. Yeah. you And what's interesting, okay, do you have time for a little story? Yeah. Okay. So our band actually went to South Africa. So right. one of uh, Eddie Grant's songs was the Johannesburg-based song. What is it called? Something about Joe? Give Me Hope, Joanna. So Give Me Hope, Joanna. I looked that song up and I didn't know what it was about, but it's about Johannesburg. So we went We went to South Africa and we had one song that was like a Calypso kind of feel. And, and it says, uh, it's called Solidarity. That's what it's called. Okay. We went to this tiny little village and we're playing in these little villages that are in the outskirts of the city. And these are severely impoverished areas, severely. And in right. fact, when we get there, the people want nothing to do with us because they think we're South African until they find out we're American. And then all the kids, all the people come out and want to know what we're doing. And we had brought in a generator because they didn't have electricity there. And we went to an old bombed out concrete facility. Maybe it was like a youth center. Maybe it was a school. We don't know. It hadn't been used probably in decades. Like pigeons were living in there. It was just crumbling. Right. But it was the only place that they had. And so we set up our generators and stuff and we played. When we started playing the song Solidarity, people got out from their seats and came on the stage because they, they didn't have any dance room and they danced. Right. And they liked it so much, like made conga lines and everything that we played the song twice in the set. That's amazing. That yeah. is like, that's like a once in a lifetime yeah. thing that, that you'll be telling kids 50 years, but that's a, that's like a crazy experience. Was it that was surreal because there was, you know, oftentimes you go to a concert and a punk show and you say, it was like, there was no crowd and no band. We were one, but this like, seriously, right. socially, I guess there was no feeling of like, well, we shouldn't write, get in their space. It was like, no, there's people everywhere and little kids. And of course, culturally, their style of dancing is a lot of grinding. You know what I'm saying? Like getting down, right. yeah, like yeah. there's no awkwardness about booty dancing. And so, you know, we were having a great time. It was fun. It, it wasn't inappropriate. It was just joyful dancing. You know, we had a great time. That's amazing. 
Yeah. That's, a, you know, and that's one of those moments that transcends, like, I don't know, when you're, when you're on stage, you're having a blast, but you're thinking about like, oh, where are we going to drive tonight? Are we going to sell, how many t-shirts are we going to sell tonight? What are we going to do? Like, there's none of that. It's just the music and the enjoyment of the music and that's yeah. it. And how, how did you even end up there? Well, this is the interesting thing about Five Iron Frenzy at the time. Well, we're very missional Christian band. And so we went to South Africa essentially for a few different reasons. One was to play concerts and make people happy, but one was to join in with an organization that was already in place there and basically just try to share the idea of unity. So we did, I think it was probably a couple weeks there. So we did some clubs, we did some youth centers, we did some skate parks, skateboard parks, and then we did villages. And we would actually go to the orphanages during the day and play with the kids. In the evening, we made meals and hung out with people. And it was brutal. I'll be honest. It was very sad. It was frustrating that we couldn't do more than than just be a light and a hope. Like, you can't meet everybody's needs. So in anything, mostly it was education for ourselves, right? Right. But the piece that was the most fascinating to me is that we had an Afrikaans Dutch bus driver. And he was probably in his 30s. And we were, you know, young punk rockers. And we're from America and we come and we're going to all these different shows. So he's hired by the bus company. He's hired to take us everywhere. And this is a long, long, long trip. And not only did the band go, but we joined up with another Christian American mission group and most of our label came. So the people that would answer the phone for five minute walk, the people that would stuff the envelopes and sell the merch, they came too for this experience. So there was tons of us. So this bus driver was watching us interact with Black Africans and Afrikaans, white Africans, right? And we started to notice that he did not interact with Black Africans. For the first few days, it was very obvious. It was like, well, what's his deal? So we started having conversations and he said, we just don't. Culturally, we just don't. And by the end of that two or three week little tour, he was, he was hanging out with kids. He would bust out a harmonica. He was talking to people. It was, and that to me was like the takeaway was like, culturally, the people aren't used to intermixing. And so that, that had a long way to go. And that was in the nineties. Wow. That's a pretty amazing experience for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, that probably not a lot of people get to do, especially with the music part of it. You know, I'm sure a lot of people go do missionary trips and do things like that. But but man, getting to experience the music part of it, that's really amazing. Yeah. Making South African people mosh, that is, there's nothing like <laughs> it. It's so fun. And we had crowds that were mixed race. Like it was wild. And p- there was tension. People were like, the cops aren't going to like this. The community's not going to like this. There were other bands that were opening that were South African with mixed race uh, group members. And they were like, we get a lot of grief. We have a hard time performing here. This is so good for us, uh, but it's scary. It's not just a light thing there. Right. So, you know, and you're talking, you're talking about the nineties and, mm-hmm. and in the grand scheme of things, you know, all this stuff, even all, even in America with civil rights stuff, it's been such a short time since the fifties the and sixties where that even here things were segregated. Mm-hmm. That's not that long ago. That's just a blip of time. So the, these different countries, the things change at different speeds, you know? And, right. And that was just, like 98 or 99. And then think of like, we just had our first African-American president. So right. big, big difference culturally. Right. Yeah. And it's same, you know, and like when we look at Eddie Grant and in our thing, you know, when he's playing in the equals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the band that had the baby come back song, they were I guess they were they were one of the UK's first racially integrated pop groups. And mm-hmm. that's I think that's in the sixties. 
1971. Like that's so that's yeah, that's late. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They were from 1965 to 19. Well, 1971 is when Eddie Grant had his heart attack and and uh, had to leave the band. So yeah, yeah. Long it's it's crazy. There has been leaps and bounds. I mean, in Mm -hmm. our experience of of progress. But at the same time, there's a long way to go too, you know. And especially when you you see like in the '90s and in, in in South Africa. I mean, that was almost 2000. You're talking about late '90s. So, yeah, I'm uh, talking about yeah. late '90s. Yep. Right. All this, all, everything, everything that we're talking about, Eddie Grant, from his song to his life experience, uh, is very uh, relevant even today, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. the guy was, like we said, in Guyana, he got the lifetime achievement award. He performed at Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday concert. I think that is so cool. I think that's so awesome for him because that's kind of what he was speaking about for so long. So that's, that's really probably an amazing thing for him. Right. Yeah. And it's amazing. And then the, uh, along the way, he got a hit song in the United States, <laughs> uh, you know, not even not even being here, which, which has to be wild, you know, uh, and w- I'm looking at like what else was going well, on. He also wrote the Romancing the Stone song. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> oh, my God. I remember having Romancing the Stone that my parents when when you would get HBO for free Uh-oh. for like a week Uh-oh. or something. You have to be censored <laughs> on the weekends. <laughs> like everyone. Every once in a while, like they would give you like a free preview of HBO and my parents would tape all the like a bunch of movies from HBO. And I remember Romancing the Stone was one of them, but I don't remember the song from it. It goes like Uh, this, because I'm Romancing the Stone. And he says that like a thousand times. Do you remember? Yeah, Yeah. I do remember that song. It's in the movie. And he says the chorus like a hundred times. It even has the word unicorn in it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so crazy that I remember that. That that would have that is yeah. It, it's ridiculous movie songs where it is one hundred percent about the movie. You know, that's weird though when they when they give these artists such a tiny little like. Okay, we need you to write a awesome song called "Romancing the Stone." What do you even <laughs> talk about? That's weird. Like, yeah. that's not giving you much to work on. <laughs> it has to be specifically about romancing the stone, like the Which plot of the movie. Stupid, <laughs> stupid, like getting killed by crocodiles at the end, something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that's that r- scene. That's ridiculous. I don't really remember the movie too much, but I do remember that song. It's about a woman that writes romance novels, and so she gets to go on this wonderful romantic real life adventure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's pretty awesome that you. That I really know romancing the stone. Yeah, because I'm probably older than you. (laughs) No, we're we're close. I think. Okay. As far as Electric Avenue goes, looking at what was going on in the world of music at the time Mm -hmm. that that song hit, it it went to number two, and the song that kept it out of number one was from the Flashdance movie. It's "What a Feeling." It's a good song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you and, know, uh, I've, I was obviously in aerobics back then wearing leotards and nice. long leg warmers with streamers and, you know, in the 80s. And I was doing yeah. those. That song was one of the ones we always had a routine to. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> so it makes sense that that would be the number one song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, at that time, Every Breath You Take was out. Okay. And as far as the year in general, like the biggest songs were David Bowie's Let's Dance, mm. Michael Jackson, Billie Jean, and Culture Club, Karma Chameleon. Those are huge hits. They're still hits. They're still... Those yes. are timeless songs. Like, I don't know what it is about the 80s, but my kids love those songs. They're just, they're not going away. Right. Yeah. And they, and they shouldn't. I mean, no. those are all, all amazing songs. And this song's kind of there too. This song's not going away. You know, obviously, as, as we talked about, there's some issues with it this week. So Eddie Grant wrote a timeless song 
You got to give it. him credit for that. I love he's it. Still, he's still, I mean, he's only 72 years old now, I think, for a dude that, for a dude that had a band in the 60s that had a hit and mm-hmm. then had a heart attack at 23, had a hit in the 80s, played at Nelson Mandela's birthday party, uh, got a Lifetime Achievement Award from Guyana. I feel like the dude is kind of, kind of done it all after he saw Chuck Berry play, decided that he wanted a career in music and he kind of did it all. <laughs> and he still right. has some time left, maybe right. for Electric Avenue 2 or something. You know, on here, we always decide at the end of the episode, did Eddie Grant uh, bring the one hit Thunder? Me And, and a lot of factors go into that. Oh, Everything yeah. from his back from his back catalog and everything like that. Or was this a one hit blunder? Should this not? No, no, happened? no. He's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. He's, he's kind of like, he's, he's giving it to the man. He's, he's bringing it to the masses. He's doing his message and it's not for everybody. And maybe through music, you know, it's one thing to have a awesome song, but it's an amazing thing to have a awesome life. Right. And right. a awesome message. And so that's, what's Hell cool. Yeah, for sure. I'd I'm be a, happy I'm gonna... to have one hit. <laughs> Me too. That's what right? I'm saying. I would like to have one hit. So. That's a lot of pressure on a song, but you never know. I guess you never yeah. know. Yeah, you never know. But yeah, I'll go with Thunder on Eddie. Grant oh yeah, too. definitely Thunder. And, thunder. And, uh, and de- definitely a good story. A-, a cool, catchy song, but it-, it seems like the story behind him and what the song is about and and his life is even better than the song, I think. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And, mm-hmm. and thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Been, thank you very it, much it, for having me. Very fun. I learned it. a lot. I learned about Ring Bang. Never going to yeah. lose that information. <laughs> I don't know when it'll ever come up, but maybe Jeopardy. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, Lenore. All right. Take care. Cool. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pact, and Another Cheetah. Underneath me, you're hearing the new Five Iron Frenzy song, So We Sing, featuring this week's guest, Jeff the Girl. Go check out their Kickstarter to help produce their next album, Until This Shakes Apart. The link is in the episode notes. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. 
You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.